each week we're going to basically take one of these baby bottles, okay, from the author of Hebrews, and we're going to hand it to you, okay? It's a good test to find out, are you ready for meat or not? Now, I, I warn you, we're not going to go on these things on a shallow level because uh, it's just boring to go shallow. So we're going to take these baby bottles and go a little bit deeper than usual. But uh, here's the challenge of these things. Do you know these things? These are the things that the author of Hebrews says are the basics, the ground level, right? Uh, when you are a baby, it's the first steps to learning how to crawl, right? So Jude, when my oldest son, when he was learning to, to crawl, his first thing was army crawl. He didn't figure out the legs yet. So you'd see him, come on. Around the whole house. It was awesome. And it, he first had to learn this upper body movement. And this is what we're doing right now. We're, we're going to learn the first stages of crawling. So this morning, we're, we're going to move on to bottle number two. If bottle number one is works that lead to death, which we all know what that is, right? Okay, great. Second one. The second baby bottle, right? The baby, the, most, the young, immature Christian room should know this. Do you know how to bathe yourself? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? Anybody? Do you know how to properly bathe yourself? I love people who tell me, Pastor Devin, I understand the Bible can be complex, but all you got to do is just read it and the Holy Spirit will make it aware to you. Okay, amen, hallelujah. So what is this talking about? Do you know how to ceremonially cleanse your body? Anybody? Do you know how to ceremonially cleanse your body? Because that's just the basics of the Christian faith. Anybody? Would you like to come tell me how to do it? Would you, would you like to tell me what the chalice is called that you put the water in to wash yourself, to make yourself clean? Anybody? Anybody? How about this? In the verses when it says, anyone has clean hands, do you know what the water is called that you're supposed to pour in your hands to have clean hands to come to God? Does anybody know? Before you eat every meal, you should be taking that chalice and washing your hands. Who carries a chalice to the bathroom? Oh, No. No good Jews in the room? Nobody? Come on. You have to dig deeper in the Scriptures. There are a few things in the Bible that make sense on the surface. And so in this passage, it's one of my favorites. Because the author says, surely you're not a baby anymore. Even baby Christians know how to ceremonially cleanse their bodies. Do you know how to take a proper bath? Who taught you to take your first bath? Everyone's like, I'm not talking about that. It's uncomfortable. I don't, I don't want to go there. And so here in Hebrews, we find out that the ceremonial washing of the body to make it clean is one of the foundations of the Christian faith. Now, here's something that you might not know. Few things that we call Christian started Christian. Most of the things that we call Christian were things that belonged to someone else, and we tweaked them and changed them just a little bit to give new meaning to them. Baptism is one of those things. Everything that we know and do about baptism comes from, started with the Jewish understandings of how to use water, how to cleanse themselves, how to wash themselves. And Hebrews is a, is a very important book for us because Hebrews kind of opens up the, uh, the door to understanding where these things first came from. Have you ever wondered what's happening in the book of Acts when everyone hears this new message of Jesus and they're all told to go get baptized? Have you ever wondered what's happening there? How do they know to go get cleansed? How did the apostle even know to tell them to go get baptized? Because this was not the first time any of them had been baptized. 
Honestly, most of them have been baptized multiple times. Baptism was not a new thing. Baptism already had meaning to it. What happens in the Christian faith is we take things that existed and we give them a new meaning. We distort their meaning. We add meaning to it. We build on top of something that's already existed. And so for us, we need to understand baptism. But before we go there, understand this. The word used in the book of Hebrews for baptism is not talking about the type of baptism that most of us think of. It is talking about Jewish ceremonial washings. Are you educated in Jewish ceremonial washings? Just this. If you are, that's really sad. I don't know why you would be if you weren't Jewish. It's a long read, right? And so the first thing you have to understand about baptism is this. You have to understand its roots. If you don't understand where baptism starts, you don't understand what baptism has become. So the first thing that the author in Hebrews does for us is he begins to create this, this pulling away from the old understanding. So, to cleanse the body in the Jewish understanding, you're taking something which is unclean, right? And you're going to make it clean now. You're going to take something that has dirt on it and you're going to wash it off. You're going to take something that has germs, you're going to, to take the germs off and you're going to now be clean. Christian baptism is not about being clean. In Christian baptism, you don't take the same hands and you wash them and now they're clean. In Christian baptism, there is a different understanding of things. Has anyone ever seen the imagery when someone gets baptized? Who's ever watched someone be baptized in water? Anybody? Everyone? Okay, see? Everyone's brave to raise your hands on that one, right? So you've seen it, right, when, when the, the minister takes them under like this, correct? Now, I want you to imagine this. When they are under the water and their hands are crossed because they're over their face holding their nose, okay, is there any other time in life that you're going to see that human being look like that? laid out on their back, arms crossed. Is there any other time in, in our existence that you're going to see that human being look that way? When? When they're dead. Correct, right? This is not an accident, right? The idea of the reason that we as Protestants, we like to go all the way under the water. There's a reason for this. Because when someone gets buried... Do we bury them partially? Do we leave the nose up just in case? No, we, we put them all the way under because here's the reason. We don't expect them to ever come out again. Let that sit for a second. The reason that, that we put them deep is there is no expectation they will ever come back out. It's a one-time entry. This is one of the first things you have to understand about baptism. This is one of the, the, the baby Christian ideas we have to understand. Christian baptism is not about washing your sins away. Christian baptism is about taking that you, that version of you, that person, and it stays there. It stays there. Now, the Apostle Paul kind of pioneers some new understandings. Understand this. They had the heart of what all these things meant from the teachings of Jesus, but they didn't really understand the details. The Apostle Paul is one of the first teachers to kind of try to sort it out. Okay, so I think this is what it means when you get baptized. And so the Apostle Paul begins to make connections between baptism and crucifixion. 
And so the idea is that when you get baptized into Christ, you're being crucified with Christ. So not only now are you being put into the grave, you are being put onto a cross, which is not just an instrument of death. It's an instrument of shame, torture, pain, right? Slow, gruesome death at that. So the first step to understanding what it is to be baptized as a Christian is that you are saying that everything about the person before you're entering into this relationship with God is going to stay in the grave. It is now gone. It is dead. So the first thing about baptism you must understand is death. If you do not understand death, you do not understand baptism. Now, this is a powerful understanding. I want to explain this to you. Some things don't change over time. It was very popular in that time in history, just like it is now, to embrace other forms of being clean. I talked about this last week. Who has ever felt really bad about watching that rated R movie? Don't raise your hand. Who's ever said really bad, felt terrible, I mean awful, when that cuss word came out of your mouth? Who has ever been very careful about what you eat or how you dress? How about this? Have you ever had a preacher's wife get after you for how you dressed? You will never hear her get after you. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> she don't care. No, I'm <laughs> and I don't really either. <laughs> you, have you ever been worried about the things on the outside making you unclean? How about this? Have you ever been worried about the things that you do with these making you unclean? That person did this. He stole. That person did drugs. That person cheated and fornicated. Uh-oh. Are you seeing this now? The idea of sin has always been the idea of this body now having things that make it unclean. Picture you're pouring now dirt over a person. You take mud and put it on you. You take gasoline and you pour it on them. You take feathers, whatever. The idea is every one of these actions now gets them dirty and they got to get clean, right? So what happens if you always have to be clean before God? but you keep getting dirty because you're a sinner. What happens with that? If you keep getting dirty, what do you got to do again? If you, I washed them, now they're dirty. I have to do what? Wash them again. Who's been baptized twice? A few hands. How about three times? <laughs> I knew it was you. I knew it was you. How about five times? Ten times? Twenty times? Who needs to get baptized again? How many times have you washed your hands in one day because they were dirty? How many times, if you wash your hands that many times in one day because of germs, how many times should you be washing your soul because of sin? Do you get what we're going for? All right, do you, do you understand this? Right. The idea is if this is what cleanses me of my sins, then I got I to gotta keep it going, baby. All the time, carry around some, you know, Purex, for your sins, because every five minutes, you got to do this number. I've always loved the, the Catholic idea of penance and of prayers, the idea of when I make a mistake, I, I, here's the beads, and I say that it makes so much sense to me, because that's how I was raised. It's how most of you were raised. I do a bad thing. I see a bad thing. I say a bad thing. I touch a bad thing. I commit a bad thing. Now I got to wash. Now, uh, who grew up Protestant? Like you're like in an Assemblies of God church, a Baptist church. Come on, most everybody. All right. When you did something bad, what was washing in those churches? 
Did you ever have someone say to you, you don't look like you're sorry? But I'm so sorry. Jesus, I did it again. Oh, you don't look like you repented. Try again. There are churches this morning where the altars are full. And that's not a bad thing. But part of the reason that those altars are full is not a healthy thing. The idea is that every time I get dirty, I have to get clean, and this is where I get clean. That I have to wash with my sorrow. I've got to show that I'm sorry. That's what repentance looks like, is tears. And so every time I do a bad thing, I've got to stop and feel terrible about it, and I've got to wash away the dirt. But what if what made you clean had nothing to do with washing those, those dirty hands? What if what made you clean was that that you was already gone? Because see, when I put it down, it never comes back. It stays down. And every single time I see a part of me that looks like that old, that old self, I know that that me is, is there. Do I now need to wash my hands again with my tears? Do I need to go say Hail Marys? I joke about the Catholic form of it because I know that most of us are Protestant. We think that's so silly. The idea of having to come cry to be forgiven is just as silly. The idea of having to have an emotional reaction because I was bad to be made clean is just as silly. The first concept of baptism is that this being clean has little to do with us. The reason this church is called Grace Church is because this is the most preeminent theme in all of the New Testament Gospel. It has less to do with you and more to do with God. And it's the hardest thing for us to embrace. We cannot accept it. So, <laughs> to be ceremonial, clean in your entire body, there was a washing of hands and a body that was pouring over, but there were also washings that needed to be fully submerged. To be converted, meaning to step into a new way of life for a Jew, they had to be fully submerged. But not just into water, they had to be submerged into living water. Have you ever heard that term before? Living water. Did you think that was a Christian word? No? I thought it was English, right? Come on, guys. This is not a Christian idea. This is Jewish. Why living water? To say living water just means this. It's running water. It's moving water. Meaning it comes from somewhere and it's going somewhere. I could not wash you in a bath. I could not wash you in a pond. In a well, it's got to be water that has life in it. It's flowing. It's moving. Gosh, I love that. And so when Jesus sits at the well and he's offered water, and he says, oh, no, 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 I've got living water to offer you. She goes, I don't see any streams around here, brother. Just a well. Baptism tells us that when we go into the water, we are now being carried away into something that is living, something that is alive. See, things that are alive never stop moving. They're from somewhere, and they go to somewhere. When we go under the water, we are becoming a part of something that's alive. We're about to blow your mind, so stay with me. So, when the pastor baptized you, did they say, in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Yes or no? 
If they didn't, you weren't baptized. I'm just kidding. It's okay. Now, if they were good pastors, I'm just, I'm just, I, I, it's too much fun. What they should have done is this, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is how Christians have baptized. For the first 1,500 years, that was the only way that they baptized. Well, first thousand. Three times. Here's why. Because that living water you are being a part of, it's alive. It's the water you are now a part of is the Father, the Son, the Spirit. Stay with me. As Christians, not Jews, we believe in a God that is three, a triune God, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This is the major difference between Christians and Jews. There is God for the Jews. There is Father, Son, Holy Spirit for Christians. We believe that our God, by His very nature, is relational, interflowing of His own self. A, a flow, a life, a living water in and of His own nature is always moving and interchanging. Picture three streams of water merging together. There's always movement in this water. The reason that the old self is now dying is because the new self is a part of something living and moving. You are now being swept away into a water that has no end. You are now a part of something that is alive. Something that has always been and something that will always be. You are now being swept away in it. I'll show you something else. Let's go. Genesis 1. I always love Genesis. I love Genesis because it seems to be the most simple reading in the Bible. Oh, here's what happened. That makes sense. If you notice, I'm having to pull it up on my own phone. AV team, I apologize. That completely scrapped my entire sermon. That's why I didn't get anything. Uh, Genesis 1.1. When God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was without shape or form. It was dark over the deep sea, and God's wind swept over the waters. Just sit for a second with this. The entire story that we believe as Christians begins with this line. In the beginning, before anything else, it all starts. There's a deep void of water, the deep seas, and there's a wind hovering over the water. If you are, are reading from the NIV, it's going, to see, and the, it's going to say, and the Spirit hovered over the water. If you guys remember the baptism of Christ before uh, he's taken for the uh, temptations in the desert, he comes to John the Baptist, he's taken to the water, and what hovers over the water? Come on. The Spirit hovers over the water. Here comes Jesus to the water, he's taken out into the deep, and what is hovering over it? The wind. The Spirit of God. For Jews, they understood the deeps, the deeps of the ocean, to be the source of all chaos, meaning everything in life that we cannot control. As time went on, they didn't actually believe that that was the source, but it's a metaphor for them. It was a, it's a powerful symbol for them. 
So when they're talking about the things in life that are bigger than they are, that they cannot control, the, the imagery they would use is deep waters. There is a place where we allow ourselves to be submerged in deep waters. We allow ourselves to be taken to a place where we cannot control what's going to happen next. And in this place of possible chaos, where we lose control of the situation, there is the potential, there is the chance, there is the power of God in the Spirit. And there's something that happens between us letting go of control and allowing God to take us into the deep and the merging of this letting go kind of trust with the Spirit of God that creates new life. What happens next in Genesis 1, you start with the water and the Spirit and you get creation. What happens next when the water and the Spirit, when that chaos, that lack of control, uncertainty, question marks, doubt, when this marries with the Spirit of God, you get all of the creations that you know today as the universe. The possibilities of giving up control when they meet the possibilities of the Spirit of God, something new is always made. When that unclean, dirty, frustrated, confused, deep in pain, completely ordinary human being goes under the water, there is something that happens when there is the loss, the giving up of control, and the presence of God. That when you come out of that water, there is something new. Something new that happens. If you were Catholic or... Uh, Orthodox, you would believe that the water itself carries something in it. It's magical water. The same way you believe that there's something about the bread and the juice, that when you put it in your mouth, it becomes the body of God. If you're Protestant, you are taught that all of that is just a symbolism. It's just something we do. It's, a, it's not really anything. We don't really get baptized because it matters. We just do it because it's, it shows us and teaches us something that's already happened. But there's something in the middle. There's a space in the middle that I, I prefer to spend my time in. Yes, this is symbol. Yes, it teaches us. No, it's just tap water in that tub. <laughs> Sometimes it's not clean, clean or clear. Sometimes it's cold. But there's something that happens in that possibility. When that person brings that giving up control type of, of trust and faith, and they get into that ordinary water, there's something else that happens there. There's something different that happens. You know, when you come into a room, a Sunday service, and people are just there. The worship team can be just as amazing and talented as ever, but there's something missing. It's, yeah, the songs, yes, there's music and a bass line, and there's great words and lyrics, but it's just, it's just something. But the same room, the same team, the same moment, and if the people come bringing something else, they bring this giving up control kind of, of trust and expectation. They bring some kind, of, some kind of energy. That same setting can become extraordinary. And in baptism, we come to this completely ordinary tap water, but we bring something else to it. We bring this giving up control type of faith, this trust 
And we believe that there is something else over the water. There is something else present. And this presence is the presence of God. I have seen people go under the water and come out the exact same person multiple times. And in my own life, I have seen people go, go under that water and see something different come out of it. There are times in my life that actually just kind of pop into my head faces and names. I, I knew in that moment when they came out, there was something completely different that was in front of me. There was a different type of person. Yes, the name might be the same, the shirt might be the same, the face might look the same, but there's something different in them. Something happened in that water. And baptism is about the possibilities of what can happen when we give up control, which is the symbolism of death. We give up control, and we trust in the possibilities of what happens when the Spirit of God is present. And we believe that something new is going to come out of that water, something different. I'm not going to need to wash my hands every time. I'm not going to need to obsess over the things I do, the things I don't do. I know when I come out, I'm going to be fundamentally different. God's going to create something new in me. And this is what Christian baptism is. Would you guys stand with me? I love that. Do you know how to bathe? Can you take a bath? All you people who like baths over showers. <laughs> who actually believes that they get clean in a bath? Which, by the way, if baptism is about getting clean, it's the worst way to get clean in the entire world. You're bathing in your own filth. Sorry, it's a rant. If it's about getting clean, we should have a baptismal shower. We sh <laughs> I got one laugh. Amen, hallelujah, we're good. Father, we come to you this morning. It is not the do's or the don'ts. Uh, it's not the things that our hands have done or not done. The things our eyes have seen or not seen or touched or not touched that makes us clean or unclean. Father God, it is your grace. We receive what was done in the water. We believe that when we give up control and we open ourselves to the Spirit of God, that new things are created that we have become a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Father, I ask that you would help us be people who live that way, that we would see in the mirror a new, different person. Not just someone who needs to get clean again, not someone who just needs to repent again or say you're sorry again, or, but a new person in the mirror. And Father, that this new person, this transformation from the inside, that it would change the things that we touch, the things that we see, the things that we say. From the inside out, not the outside in, Father. We pray that we would be changed in Jesus' name. Prayer team, I want to invite you guys to come on up. When we talk about baptism, we're talking about just the very beginning of our walks with God. And the scriptures, if you want to relate baptism to anything, baptism is the spiritual marriage ceremony with God. It's when we go from the moment where we say a prayer, we decide we want to come back to God. If you would, that is the proposal with God. The vow, I, I'm excited about this. I want to do this. But the ceremony is the real moment. It's when we, we finalize our commitment to God. And so if this morning, if you felt like there's something that's going to be pricked in your heart and you want to learn about baptism or you just need prayer this morning, the prayer team's going to be here for you. Father, I pray for all the families and individuals in this room. 
Father, that you continue to lead us to see ourselves differently. Father, we are made clean by your Son. Father, that we would be people who don't live under guilt or condemnation or shame, constant worrying, but Father, people who are free to be who you've called us to be, to be comfortable in our own skin. In Jesus' name.